This audio is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton. You're listening to Work of Tomorrow on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. Here again is Christian Tervish. Welcome back from the break. I'm Christian Tervish, and you're listening to Work of Tomorrow on Business Radio. Today we're talking about money transfer and digital payments in the first half of the show. I talked to Camilla Chetil, the Chief Operating Officer of MoneyGram, the second largest provider of money transfers in the world. To explore this topic, I want to first welcome my friend, colleague, and co-author, Professor Nikolai Zigakow, here in the studio. At this point, uh, it's my great pleasure to introduce my second guest, uh, Michael Tudasco. Uh, Michael is the Director of Innovation at PayPal, and Michael and I met our ma- at our Mastering Innovation Program in San Francisco uh, just last year. Uh, Michael, as Director of Innovation, what is your favorite innovation you're currently working on? My favorite innovation that we're currently working on here would have to be um, probably in the area of augmented reality. I think that there's a lot of potential in that area, and it's something that's extremely exciting. You mean I could take out my phone, I could beam it at, at, at a running shoe or at a bicycle, and I would say, like, I want this, and then PayPal does the rest of the transaction? Why not? No, I mean, <laughs> I mean so that, that's the beauty of augmented reality. I mean, it, it's going to, especially as the hardware gets better and better. I mean, most of the form factors now are done on a phone. Um, but as you see companies like Magic Leap and others start to move towards a, you know, a uh, glasses-based form factor, I think it's going to become much more commonplace. And so we're going to just be part of the landscape, and you're going to be able to enable payments to people, to businesses, in many different ways. Michael, talk about your responsibilities and what you do as Director of Innovation at PayPal. Sure. So as Director of Innovation, I oversee our innovation labs. We have four around the globe, uh, two in India, Bangalore and Chennai, and San Jose, and in Singapore. And as part of that, a big piece of our charter is to engage the 19,000-plus PayPal employees and enable them to be great innovators. And it doesn't matter whether they're engineers or designers or they're an accountant or a lawyer. Um, We want to give them the tools, the training, um, and the work on future platforms to expose them, to open up their ideas more so, so we can build the great products on the platforms of the future. And so how do you engage 19,000 employees in innovation? You have a big suggestion box there, or what is is the trick? We do have a global suggestion box. Yes, actually, we do have that. Um, You know, one of the ways that we do, because a lot of innovation, frankly, takes place in person, which is why we've actually set up physical innovation labs over the past couple of years to be able to do that. Um, So, yes, while we do have digital tools like the suggestion box, we also have teams of innovation ambassadors that are in all of our major offices around the globe. Um, and they do things um, like what we do at our innovation labs, just maybe at a slightly smaller scale. So this is everything from holding speakers, um, demonstrating new technology, new products, hosting brainstorm sessions, or whatever the local needs and desires might be. Um, to really engage the community and people excited about innovation, get them thinking further down the road. Um, hi, this is Nikolai, uh, the strategy uh, member of, of the team here. Um, thinking about sort of this whole payment space, obviously we've seen tremendous amount of innovation and new players come up and 
every company seems to now creating their own wallet. Uh, and uh, you go to stores, maybe not so much in the US, but in China, and there are at least sort of three different logos on every window, and you just need to pull out a particular mm -hmm. app to pay. Um, can you just give us sort of a little bit of an overview of kind of the, the main players here? And because some of them are closed systems, some use kind of the banking system, just to give us sort of an idea of, of what the different players are and the different systems they are using. Uh -huh. And are you saying uh, specifically in China, or are you talking about the players? No, 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 start with the U.S., and then uh, um, um, because I know kind of PayPal is different from a, a, from a Visa card, for instance. So just give us yeah. an idea of that. Yeah, no, absolutely. So, um, you know, in the United States, um, you know, this is where very much credit cards were birthed with Diners Club back in the 1950s. And, you know, it was very much a credit card economy. Uh, here, although still an amazingly high percentage of transactions still occur in the United States using traditional cash. Mm -hmm. um, but how we fit into the ecosystem, I mean, PayPal is largely a platform um, where we would enable payments from a person to a person or person to a merchant or anything like that. Um, these are all partner clubs that help to enable payments across our platform. So, you know, overall, incredibly complex. Hi, this is Nicola here. Um, just a question sort of to get an idea about the competitive landscape, because um, there are so many new providers of payment services. There's, uh, you know, Apple has a wallet, Google has a wallet. Uh, there are the traditional credit cards. Uh, there's PayPal. Uh, can you give us sort of a little bit an idea of how these things are different? Because I think some of them are closed systems and using existing banking infrastructure. Some are their own systems. Uh, that might be kind of helpful for the listeners to understand a little bit the differences between these systems on the back on the background. Sure. Yeah. Let me, I mean, and it's this could go for well more than the hour designated <laughs> to the show. But yes. I, let me at least like kind of touch at a little Great. bit on yes. my level on how these systems work. Um, so, you know, I, I think in the United States, for starters, um, the traditional concept of a credit card was started in the United States at the Enders Club, you know, back in the 1950s. And this has evolved into a system where, you know, you as a consumer will um, have a card that is given to you by an issuing bank. And then all of the local providers who are accepting credit cards or uh, stores or what have you, you know, the grocery store and whatnot, they have banks on their side. Um, which is the merchants are pairing. And then in between those two are the credit card networks. So that is kind of the Visa mm -hmm. and MasterCards of the world and so forth. Um, so when you're doing a transaction, um, when you're going into a grocery store in the most traditional way, you swipe your credit card and then basically their bank is talking through the network to your bank, making sure the funds are there and that's how the transaction is completed. Mm -hmm. um, so that is the traditional model. Um, if you only U.S. And even though I say traditional, still a large, large percentage of transactions in the United States and globally are still done with cash. Mm -hmm. um, but that's kind of the, the start of digital transactions. Um, in PayPal, we have many different products and many different models. But ultimately, what we are doing is we are part of this payments platform as well. Um, so we are there, you know, as a way for merchants to actually be able to accept payments online or even in stores. We can enable that through our mobile point of sale devices. Um, and we, you know, work with banks on credit cards and we're also button on the website. So we're many different players within that complex ecosystem. Interesting. Now, obviously, Venmo is also part of PayPal, right? Does Venmo have their own system yes. or 
Is that sort of different then? Yeah, so Venmo is outside the rails of that. So traditionally, and for folks who don't know, as many folks under the age of 35 might not know, um, but Venmo is a peer-to-peer payment system um, that PayPal we acquired back in 2013. And it enables people to send money to each other within the United States. Um, The unique thing about Venmo is that also part of that, there is a social feed where you can see if people choose to display that, the transactions that they are making to their friends and colleagues or babysitters and nannies and so forth. Mm -hmm. Um, And so within the world of of Venmo, um, a user, we might have a connection with a bank or a credit card to bring the money into the Venmo network. But once it's in the Venmo network, we're sending it from one account to another account within there. Um, But we're just also launching experiences like Pay With Venmo, which is going to enable Venmo users to then be able to have a Venmo-like experience as a button on a merchant's website. Talk a little bit about your revenue model, Michael. So in the earlier part of the show when we talked with MoneyGram, they're getting basically a percentage around three, four, five percentage on on on, on the price. I know that some of the PayPal transactions come with a, with a service fee. Others within the network are free. So how do you guys make your money? Yeah, yeah. So there's several ways. So the, the main way that we make money as a company um, is by charging merchants um, for being able to accept transactions online. Uh, so in the United States, um, those rates, as posted, start at 2.9% and $0.30 cents, um, for a typical merchant transaction. And there are many tiers, many exceptions, and so on and so forth. But that's you know kind of the basic number to have. Um, so a customer would go to a merchant's website. They select PayPal as their payment method. Um, they click on that PayPal button. Um, the customer would not be charged anything, but then the merchant would pay that. So that's our most basic revenue model. Says Michael Tedesco, the director of innovation at PayPal. So for that, you're managing the transaction, which is not costing you anything, except for when it does, right? I mean, it's one of these things where probably (laughs) uh, 99% of the costs arise in that 1% of the situation where something goes wrong. Um, so tell us, from, if I would pick a random 1,000 uh, consumer-to-merchant transactions at PayPal, how many of those will require some form of manual labor involving your customer service? Oh, boy. Um, I don't know the exact numbers on that. But what I could talk about, because, I mean, we do have a very large customer service team. We have protection that we offer to both buyers and sellers. Um, as part of the transaction, and that's the value prop that we give to merchants and consumers. Um, you know, one of the things that I, I could quote as part of the transaction is, you know, and, and it varies on a given quarter, but typically between 0.2 and 0.3% of our um, transactions, our, our total payment volume, would be actually related to then losses that we take as a company at PayPal. And so, and that's, you know, risk uh, in fighting those losses is a big piece of what we do and a big piece of our company's history. If you go back to the very early days of PayPal, um, you know, it was the thing that was able to keep us afloat. Um, And it's something that we're very strong with and very proud of um, staying within that range for transactions. 
Now, do you have a sense that banks are catching up? I mean, I remember the early days of PayPal and just the delight I had in running a small business and being able to easily, just through some, in some simple HTML coding, start to process credit cards and have everything organized by PayPal's. But we're now in a world where Nikolai mentioned about a lot of the wallets and the new technologies. Do you have a sense that you're losing your edge and the rest of the world has kind of transitioned to the digital economy? Or do you still feel like yeah. we're fairly comfortable in this position? No, um, it's a great question. And, and you know, I will say, like, it, we're definitely, this is why we need to continually innovate as a company. It's because um, the world of payments is a place where very many people um, are interested. And, you know, I think there's, you know, maybe more traditional technology companies. Also, the banks are getting into this world and so forth. Um, so we need to continually innovate as a company to stay ahead of that. Um, you know, just last quarter, our total payment volume continued to increase 27% year over year. Um, so we are continuing to grow as a company. We're continuing to find ways to satisfy our customers. Um, and ultimately, while, yes, I think maybe it was a little bit later that some of the banks or whatnot might have woken up to the digital payments game that we've been in for so long as a company, um, I think there's tons of opportunity out there for everyone. Um, you know, when we think about who our greatest competitor is, um, it's not the other buttons. It's not the other payment platforms. Um, it's cash. And as the world moves more and more to these digital payments, we want to be the platform that's at the forefront of that. Yeah. Can you tell us a little bit more about the innovation part? Because sort of payments, at least at first sight, strike one as that is really commodity, right? I just need to get my money from mm -hmm. my wallet to your wallet or from my account to your account. Uh, so, so what are kind of the opportunities to differentiate yourself on that? Or is it to the customer? Is it to the uh, to the merchants? It's probably innovation on both sides. But if you could maybe tell us a little bit more and give maybe a couple of examples here. Yeah. Um, look, and, and yeah, I, that's a big focus. You're right. And it is we have two sides of our marketplace. We're serving the, the consumers. We are serving the merchants as part of this. Um, and to give one example, that's been, you know, really our most successful product we've ever had as a company. It's PayPal OneTouch. Um, so OneTouch was something that we launched a few years ago. And what it does is it is effectively a long-term uh, cookie that you have on a device. So if once you OneTouch enable your mobile phone, for example, um, what we do is we put this long-lasting cookie on there that is constantly monitoring to make sure that you are you. But what it does is it makes it so you don't have to continually log into your PayPal accounts. Mm -hmm. um, this is obviously a pain point for many people. Um, and part of the value prop of PayPal is that, you know, so if you're using your mobile device, you don't have to remember your credit card number. You don't have to do, you know, run and grab your wallet or type it in on that small screen. We make it really easy for you to do that. And mm -hmm. almost 40% of our transactions now are done on mobile devices. And this one-touch experience that we launched uh, makes it so much easier for somebody to use, trans to be mm -hmm. able to do transactions as a consumer. 
uh, on the devices. And this is something that's very much tied to both our technology prowess um, and also how we're able to manage risk as a company. Yeah, no, that's exactly what I was thinking. Kind of, it's it's a little bit like cash, right? So that when I lose it, it's sort mm -hmm. of a problem, and uh, I don't want to lose my yeah. phone now. Uh, but uh, yeah, very interesting. Kind of on the on the merchant side, are, are there any examples of of how you help them? Yeah, I mean, we're continuing to evolve on the merchant side as well, um, wanting to bring more data and analytics to the merchant experience um, so that when we're able to work with a merchant, be able to give them more insights um, into the types of payments and what their customers are doing as part of the transaction. Um, so we have teams here at PayPal that are very focused on this merchant analytics side. Mm -hmm. Because if you think, well, yes, we do have extremely large global merchants that are using PayPal, um, and they have, believe me, they have their own analytics teams and so forth. Um, you know, at our heart in many ways as a company, we were here to support small and medium-sized businesses. Um, you know, before I joined PayPal, I was actually a PayPal merchant myself at the startup that I was at. Um, and I didn't have full-blown analytics teams or anything like that. So the more tools that we could provide to those merchants, um, the more valuable they're going to be able to create their own customer experience mm -hmm. out of that. So staying with the analytics theme for a moment, right? from the merchant's perspective, you could start to give advice saying, like, look, Christian, it looks like every three months you're running out of the stuff that you're selling. You might want to reconsider your inventory policy. Or you might say, like, well, you could source the ingredients or your supplies cheaper from another vendor. How much? How mm -hmm. much do you get into the management support, becoming like almost like a financial advisor? Given that, by observing all the payments, you really are having amazing data and insights into the heart of the management. Yeah, I, you know, I think the short answer is those are areas that we haven't dove deep into yet. But, um, Christian, you're absolutely right. I mean, the insight that we will have um, as a company when you actually see the payments transactions going through, um, there's a lot of value that we can provide. Um, and to give one example of, a, of another merchant product that we've launched in the last few years is called PayPal Working Capital. And how that works is that if you are a merchant, you know, that is already putting all your transactions through PayPal, um, what we can then do is that we can give you a working capital loan as part of that. And this is something that we've launched in the U.S. And in doing so, um, what we would then do is we see your transactions. We know what your business is like. We understand the ebbs and flows of that. Um, and so then we can work with the merchant on, you know, from every transaction that you have maybe going across, you can maybe have a small percentage every day going to pay off that loan. And if you're having less transactions one day, you might have less money going towards that. And those are the kind of services, to your point, that we can offer because we have that insight into the payments, uh, into where the funds are actually flowing. So that's a little bit the mint, the square type of business model that now you'll see all these flows. You can say, like, well, what else can I do to you, merchant, that makes your financials be managed more professionally? Yeah. I, so, you know, PayPal Working Capital came from um, a company that we acquired well over 10 years now called Bill Me Later, which now operates as PayPal Credits. Um, but this is a consumer and merchant credit business that we've had um, and has been operational for some time. 
And I think we're continually evaluating just new services that we're going to be able to provide to you know, both our merchants and our consumers. Says Michael Tedesco, the director of innovation at PayPal. Michael, let's go back to innovation um, and, and okay. tell us a little bit. Again, we, we started the show off with uh, this idea of augmented reality, the, the crazy thing out there that uh, might transform payment maybe five or 10 years from now. But you also mentioned you have 19,000 employees who have ideas for probably much more incremental process improvements all the time. Uh, how, how do you kind of reconcile these very different types of innovations in your enterprise? Yeah, um, so largely in the innovation labs, we want to kind of encourage innovation throughout the company. Um, but a lot of that um, Horizon One type innovation or the incremental improvements, if you will, um, that is looking at, that, and that is very much the responsibility of all of those teams within the company. Um, so we do whatever we can to create a culture um, that enables teams to be able to foster that innovation and that incremental improvement. What we also do as an innovation lab is we try to then give opportunities uh, to our employees to be able to extend beyond that and given them guidance on what the platforms of the future are going to be where we see these things to be much more prolific. So things like augmented reality, um, blockchain, robotics, things like that. Um, and we um, enable our employees to work in a 20% time type fashion on actually building these experiences. And not only building these experiences as prototypes, um, but being able to train up their own skill sets um, over several months at a time uh, in addition to what their day job is. And so that's a lot of our focus as an innovation lab. So you have 19,000 people that all are on a 20% rule, meaning like one day a week they can work on the crazy, wacky stuff of their dreams? Not, unfortunately, not all 19,000 are doing that quite yet, but there is the ability to do that within the company. Um, and it's something that, you know, for certain people, they're going to be extremely excited and extremely passionate about, you know, working on a robotics platform because they want to figure out how we might be able to meld identity and risk and payments into these new things that are emerging going forward. Um, and so we give the ability to those people who really want to kind of do that extra effort and have that extra um, opportunity uh, to be able to do that. Can you give us a sense of, of of the scale if we think about like the Horizon One, the more process improvements versus the really the far out there? Right now, on in your portfolio, you're working on 500 kind of small process improvement projects, and 10 big ones that are more radical. Or what? What? what how many projects are roughly going on in your organization? Yeah, it's it's hard to quantify, especially the Horizon One type work. Um, you know, I think there are. Yes, it is probably in the hundreds of those types of improvements that are going on all the time because, you know, that is very much being owned by the delivery teams within our company. They are responsible for that Horizon One type innovation. Um, what we do then is in an innovation lab is we then, you know, have a few focus areas and we have several projects going on in each of those focus areas. Uh, for teams to be able to build prototypes on those experiences. But yes, I mean, it is much less than the overall uh, horizons and one improvements going on within the company. So the uh, areas you're working on are those themes such as the, the blockchain, the 
virtual or the augmented reality. Are those themes coming down from the top management as part of executing their strategy? Or what makes you as the director of innovation pick these themes to give them uh, forward for your employees to work on? Yeah, it's really both top down and bottoms up to be completely honest. So we do work with the corporate strategy team and our leadership to try and identify what are the you know, platforms that are emerging where we see PayPal being able to play you know, maybe two to six years in the future and where do we want to kind of tool up as a company within our own skill sets, if you will. Um, but also there's kind of that organic interest that emerges. Um, Blockchain is a great example where we have a whole lot of people in the company who are very passionate and very excited about the opportunities and what we could do within blockchain. So I think also organically, a lot of people raise their hand to volunteer or come up with new ideas um, in that area to be able to build out these prototypes uh, and experiences that we have as a company. So it really comes from both directions. So the project selection is not just happening from through some form of a review process or a committee saying we want this. Basically, if you have a crazy idea, it's something that you want to innovate on, you have to kind of recruit your own followers. And if you're successful, so you have enough momentum to just get, get a project rolling? 100%. 100%. I mean, there are some that actually are sponsored by an executive. An executive said, hey, it would be really great if we could build something that does X and that will have its own team. But I could tell you there are probably just as many, if not more, examples of that grassroots-type project that you just described. Hey, wouldn't it be great if we could do this type of experience? Um, And if you can get the team together, if you could kind of recruit enough other passionate people, then we kind of give you the support structure, um, the exposure within the company, and all of those types of things so let you carry that to be a success. Says Michael Tedesco, the Director of Innovation at PayPal. Thank you so much, Michael. You have been listening to Work of Tomorrow on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School here on Sirius XM. Let me thank my uh, colleague and friend, Nikolai Sigurkow, for hanging in there with me. Uh, you can have access to the older episodes from our show on wellworkoftomorrow.com. We hope you can join us again this coming Monday at 5 p.m. Eastern. I'm Christian Terbisch. And on behalf of all of us here at the Wharton School, thank you for listening. For more guest interviews, check out our Wharton Business Radio Highlights podcast on iTunes and Google Play.